This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode six of F. Shirley Vrure, a podcast about Rav Moshe Feinstein and the art of Psak. In this series, we're asking the question, when can you make halachic decisions, even though, the, though you don't have all the evidence? When must you wait until you have all the evidence? And when must you decide, even though you don't have all the evidence? Our topic uh, in this episode is, may one bury someone who is medically alive? Really asking, how perfect does the evidence have to be of death before you can bury somebody? We'll be discussing Yeridea Aleph um, 146. This is a tshuva from the year 5730. Uh, to uh, Rechaim Duber-Golevsky, uh, the son-in-law of Rosem Chazal Grieger, uh, dying of Brisk, uh, who was apparently Rosh Hashiva in Ritz. Uh, Rav Moshe calls him Yididi, but so far as I have found, this is the only tshuva Rav Moshe wrote to him. Uh, Rav Golevsky was a prolific author. Um, if you look on the web, the most famous thing he has, uh, aside from his farm, is a tshuva against um, Rav, Rav Goren in the Langer case, but that is way, way beyond our um, our purview. Uh, the tshuva um, has an interesting uh, typo where uh, electrocardiogram becomes electric radiogram. That's uh, really interesting. I doubt very much Rav Moshe didn't know if there's electrocardiogram. You can see how the uh, transposition happened. Um, so that I'll leave that to someone else to investigate um, anyway. But here's the thing. The tshuva is famous because... In it, Rav Moshe rejects the criteria of brain death. And rejecting brain death means, we generally say, that halacha has more stringent criteria of death than the medical profession. Right? That's the whole controversy of brain death is that the medical profession in large measure has decided that uh, a person with um, who meets their criteria is dead, and that halacha may not be willing uh, to, to agree with that so long as there is some form of respiration or heartbeat. That is not our issue here. But what's interesting is that once you divide between medical criteria and halachic criteria, it can go the other way as well. That there can be somebody who is determined to be medically alive, uh, who nonetheless is halachically buriable. Now, this is an old controversy, as we'll see, um, in terms of suspicion that um, the Chassam Sofer wrote against in his debate with, uh, with um, among others, Mendelssohn, about whether halacha could accede to a government decree that you have to wait three days before burying the before burying the dead um, because of the risk that they might uh, actually you might have misdiagnosed and they might still be alive. The Chassam Sofer argues that we require in, um, immediate burial, even though he concedes the possibility, as we'll see, that there is um, that the person is still alive. And some of you may know that in you know that um, Victorian England there were bells inside graves and things like that, and that's. Uh, and that concern goes back to Masechet Smachot, but we're going to deal with it in the context of Rabbi Golevsky's, um astonishing proposal, which is that a patient who has been declared dead by means of uh, cessation of perceptible heartbeat, meaning um, right, hands-on perceptible heartbeat and respiration, but who does not register a flat electrocardiogram, a flat EKG, Rav Galeski is going to argue that such a person can be buried halachically, must be buried halachically, because the electrocardiogram is evidence that is only available by technology, and halacha does not does not take into account 
evidence that is only available by technology. And his analogy is uh, that we eat fermented foods. Halacha allows you to eat fermented foods even though fermentation happens through yeast. And yeast is an animal, and it's not a kosher animal, so presumably it's a non-kosher animal. So what allows us to eat yeast? It must be that we ignore microscopic creatures. That, he says, is his tradition from his father-in-law, Rav Simchazelig. And if we ignore microscopic creatures, why do we ignore them? We ignore them because they are not perceptible to us uh, through direct sense perception, but only through a microscope. So by the same token, if you have a heartbeat that's only perceptible through an EKG as opposed to um, through your direct sense perception, that should be irrelevant, and therefore if the patient uh, should be dead. Rav Moshe uh, freely concedes that you're allowed to eat uh, fermented foods, and he says, um, and it's interesting to think about why Rav Golevsky Dafka went to yeast, he says, look, we allow breathing, and breathing, you're also breathing in um, microscopic animals. And then he makes a very Rav Moshe assumption, he says, and we know that all past giants, giants of past generations, all breathed and ate, and we, he refuses to believe that they would have violated any Yisurim, even bonus, even against their will. And he certainly doesn't take into account the possibility that halacha might change, and that it only becomes usher to breathe without a mask or uh, or eat these foods once you uh, are capable of perceiving the um, the animals in them. And therefore, he says, I agree with you. I don't need a tradition from Simchazelig. Even we, the Ktanim Shabiktanim, right, uh, we, we, we uh, non-entities, are capable of understanding that microscopic animals are logically irrelevant. But he says, I don't think the same thing is true about electrocardiogram readings in the case of Pikoach Nefesh. So the question is why? Um, so his answer is found, um, somewhat ironically, uh, Rav Moshe's uh, argument that you can't bury somebody with uh, with, a non, with a, an electrocardiogram that reveals signs of cardiac activity, and his evidence is from the Chassam Sofer, who permitted immediate burial despite the risk um, that, that the person was still alive. So in, in Chassam Sofer's defense, which is recorded in Pitchei Tshuva Yeridea Shinnun Zayin Sifkat Nalef, Echsam Sofer quotes Masechet uh, Tzmachot, Perichet Halach Aleph, as recording a case in which somebody was declared dead by halachic criteria and nonetheless uh, revived within three days and um, lived for 25 years thereafter. Okay, um, so Moshe says, yeah, so the Echsam Sofer said, yeah, that happens, but it's so rare, you don't have to take it into account halachically. But Moshe says, look, it happens. And here, Rav Moshe avoids what I think is a very uh, common error in halacha and in probability. Um, and he, right, and here's, here's what he says. He says that Chamsofer means that without any evidence, you can bury the person because the chance of them the chance of them being alive is so low. But suppose there were a bell in their grave and you heard the bell ringing. You would have an obligation to dig them up because you would know that this, right, that even though the odds are, what do you call it, one in a million, that right, when you buried them, that the patient was alive, but now the bell is ringing, the odds are one in one. So Rav Moshe says that a um, that electrocardiogram, which reveals which reveals cardiac activity, is the equivalent of hearing a bell from the grave. It means that this, even though halachic criteria for death are very very reliable, this is one of the cases in which they fail. And once they fail, right, the, the, the odds are overwhelming that the person is alive, um, and therefore you must respond, and you would even have to be Michal Shabbat to uh, try try to save the person. Uh, the analogy in our previous cases 
is is that Rav Moshe said before in the case of whether you could hire somebody to um, who would dafka look away when shechting when shechting birds so that you wouldn't see any even of the immediately obvious trait. But Rav Moshe says you can't look away. Right? You you may not, there may be circumstances and we've seen them where you don't have you don't have to get all the evidence. In fact, you don't have to investigate all the organs. Uh, of of a shechted bird to see if they're treif, but you can't look away. So there's a bell from the grave. If there's an EKG, you can't look away. Okay, so now the question is, but um, really, I would think that in pikuach nefesh, the standard is right, the standard is much higher than in ordinary cases. So in ordinary cases, we said that when there is when it's esher levure, there is obtainable um, there is obtainable evidence. So you have an, right, you have a positive obligation to obtain that evidence, but it's easy to overcome the positive obligation through tircha if it costs money, uh, if it's going to delay a, an aguna. So right, but here pikuach nefesh, how could you? How could you, What shouldn't we have to give an EKG to everybody before we bury them? So you might have tried an argument that um, that the the mitzvah of delaying burial creates an imperative which overrides the positive obligation of livuri. But that's uh, hard to argue in exactly uh, exactly that way because some, some, uh, I mean, even though Samsofer really does make an argument of that sort, but let's I don't think Rav Moshe really makes the argument. Let's uh, let's take a look. So Rav Moshe says because uh, Rav Moshe teaches us some important uh, rules about pikuach nefesh along the way. I think he says that there's a brayta on Yoma Pehem and Aleph, which records a dispute. Right, this is famous from the brain death controversy about whether if somebody is Buried under uh, in a building collapse, um, so they're buried under rubble on Shabbat, and you have to violate it violates Shabbat to dig them out. Uh, so you dig a person you, once you if you found a survivor, you keep digging them out. But there's a look at whether you keep digging them out until you reach their heart, so you can tell whether there's uh, any heart activity, or until you reach their nose, so you can tell if there's any respiration. There are lots of machlokot about that, right? Or, you know, which way going from the top from the bottom? We're going to assume that you're that you're um, digging them out in such a way that you'll get to the heart first and then to the nose. And so the position that says you have to wait till the nose is um, is the more is the one which requires more of you on Shabbat. Rav Moshe takes that position. He thinks that uh, that inability to perceive breathing is a more reliable indicator of death than inability to perceive uh, to perceive heartbeat. Although generally inability to perceive heartbeat is sufficient. Um, so then Rav Moshe says our debate is. Right here, you've gotten to the you've gotten to the heart, and now you have sufficient evidence. Uh, but there is more evidence you could obtain. You could go all the way to the you go all the way to the nose. Rav Moshe says that um, the machlokus is whether the additional degree of reliability that um, in digging to the nose is considered is gives is sufficient to allow the additional fill Shabbos. Um, and then he says, okay, so now we have a machlokus, right? So one person says, no. Uh, it's not sufficient to 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 be mechal Shabbos to gain that additional evidence because you have enough evidence of death, and the other party says yes it is. So what is this? So Rav Moshe says that we treat that machloket as a suffix, and then we say suffix pikuach nefesh lekula luchim whichever you want, right? We paskin uh, we paskin that you have to they have to go all the way to the um, all the way to, to go to the nose, and the way he frames this is that. Um, that it's not considered to be. Everyone agrees that in the case of pikuach nefesh, you have to investigate to the extent possible. The only question is whether that obligate whether 
when there is, um, when you have to be Mechal Shabbos, is that considered Efshar Livrure or Yefshar Livrure? So the way we paskin is that since Pikuach um, Nefesh is Docha Shabbos, therefore every possible means of, uh, every suffix is decided in favor of Pikuach um, Nefesh, and therefore this is considered Efshar Livrure. Uh, right, so you might argue it's circular because you don't know that because of or not. Rav says no, it's considered Efshir. It's considered Efshir So you understand that this is mechanically complicated. So Rav Moshe roots this in um, a fascinating uh, interpretation of the drasha, the Chai Behemish of Loshiyamos Pen. Here's what he says: Who can mefarish akra? The Shabbos ain't la ligra misa yoseri moschol. So he says what the drasha teaches you is that in terms of pikuach nefesh, Shabbos is exactly like a weekday. And therefore, anything you would have to do halachically on a weekday, you have to do on Shabbos. And therefore, the fact that there's a violation of Shabbos in ver- in getting this evidence doesn't make it the Esher Levere, because the standard for it has to be that you do everything on Shabbos you would do during the week. Right? But the Chayin Kevintri most Chol, Yesh Lanu Lasos Kolmash Esher Lanu Levarer, Yesh Lanu Lasos Gambe Shabbos. So since we'd have to, we would have to certainly dig up to the nose during the week, we have to dig up to the nose on um on Shabbos. Okay, so if that's the case, right, so why don't we have to give an EKG to every, um, to everyone before they're buried? So the answer is that as we, um, as we saw in some other tribute, the Rav Moshe thinks that there are levels um, of probability. There's a level of probability which we call, uh, right, which is just rove and mute, right, and that uh, suffices probably on a, um, on a Dioraisa level. Um, and then there's what's called Mir Hamatzvay, which creates a, uh, an Isra Durabanan of acting without being Mavarer. And then there's what he calls Chashash. And Chashash is, in a case of Esher Levarer, generates, he thinks, a positive obligation to be um, right, to investigate, although there's no prohibition violated if you don't. That's what we got from the case of uh, Shotness checking. Um, but there's a level below even Chashash. And so in the level, Sarev Moshe says, look, the level below, I think, the level below even Chashash doesn't um, right doesn't create any obligation at all. So now the question that will leave us with is right. So obviously he's going to claim that just as the Chassam Sofer held that the chance that somebody is actually alive um, is not enough to prevent burial because it's a level even though it's possible it's a level below Chashash. So if Moshe is going to say the possibility under ordinary circumstances that somebody who has been declared dead still has a um, a detectable uh, detectable heart activity by an EKG is so low that um, you don't have to bother um, engaging in, uh, you don't have to bother giving it to them, and you don't even need the, what the the condition of some suffer mentioned, which is meanwhile we're delaying burial. An EKG probably would not delay would not delay burial by the amount of time that right the government required in some surface case just three days. Uh, it's instead it's um, right, it's probably more an expense issue, um, but I think that that's the basic way Ramosha sets it up that that. That in an ordinary case, that is um, the odds are so low that you don't that you don't have to. But in any case where there is some evidence that would create even this chashash, um, right, even you know a very distant concern the person is alive, then of course you would have to um, you would have to um, uh, perform the EKG. So two very important. Uh, principles that I think three really really many many important principles come out of this, but for our um, for our purposes the first is to realize that um, sev- severing um, halacha and halachic criteria 
and technological criteria and saying Allah has its own standards of evidence living in its own universe, um, obviously there's no reason that should necessarily work only in the directions that intuitively appeal to us. And uh, right, so you might think that in brain death, uh, we can say, ah, right, it appeals to us for halacha to be more, to, uh, for halacha to not accept brain death because that way we have more stringent criteria. We value life more. We like that kind of uh, polemic that halacha values life more, although obviously in the brain death uh, issue that can go both ways in terms of transplant recipients. Um, but here you can see that that logic can easily be turned on its, uh, on its head and allow us to bury people because we disregard uh, medical uh, medical criteria. And one can imagine that um, you know, that uh, that would happen in various other cases. Ramosha has to use a uh, really um, a serious intellectual tools to avoid uh, that implication. And you see that Rabbi Golovsky, uh did make that argument. Um, secondly, is that the criteria of Moshe that the criteria for Shabbos is uh, that for the purposes of life of life saving, the fact that it's Shabbos is fundamentally irrelevant. Uh, now that leaves a um, you know, it leaves. A, the gray area is what about things that you would do during the week, even though you don't have to? Does such a thing exist? Right, that's a interesting question. And then Rav Moshe uh, says an issue that is that is I think crucial for uh, Psak on these issues in many many areas and is not really formulated well, which is that even though we say Suffolk Pikoch Nefesh, we really generally we say we don't care about odds at all. We treat any any case of um, any case where there's any chance of pikuach nefesh as safek kivadei, but there has to be a line uh, somewhere. So Rav Moshe here tells you there is such a line, but he doesn't define it more than uh, intuitively. And this is beyond the scope of our series, but it perhaps at some times we'll ignore that. It raises the question about whether um, how we distinguish between formal criteria as to what constitutes a safek and intuitive criteria, uh, right? Because if you have a formal criterion, which is if it's not impossible, then it's a safek halachically, and that's very appealing in cases of Pikuach Nefesh, until it yields um, impossible results in terms of strain on resources and the like. So here, Rav Moshe avoids that. Um, with other cases in terms of Mamzera, where he argues the reverse, that um, that uh, the possibility that somebody is not a Mamzer means halakhically they're not a Mamzer. Um, and we'll have to figure out right whether that also has, has boundaries. Okay, thank you for listening, and I look forward to joining you for Episode 7. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.